Hey everybody, Joe McCall here. And Alex, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Good. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, where we interview some of the nation's top experts and real estate investors and bring them to you and ask them all of their ticks, tricks and trips <laughs> to see if they have any ticks and if they have any tips on how to get rid of the ticks. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, uh, and before I forget, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, put in your name and email in there, and Alex and I have some incredible, incredibly valuable bonuses to send to you. A lot of videos, really, really awesome content and stuff. So go there. Um, I'm really proud to introduce uh, a guest here on our show. His name is Steve Cook. He's been investing for many, many years. Um, very successful, well-known national expert on uh, wholesaling and rehabbing. And um, Steve is one of my coaches and mentors. And uh, I really respect Steve and, and the things that he has taught me over the years and how he has helped me in my business uh, tremendously more than he realizes probably. And um, so I was, uh, he was one of the first ones I thought of asking to, to get on this podcast and talk about kind of what he's doing, um, where he came from, what he's doing now. Steve's concepts that he teaches today on uh, investing in real estate with zero debt, debt-free investing, uh, living, living a lifestyle that fits your vision and your dreams. Um, he calls it a coaching program I've been part of is called Life in Air. Um, but Steve has a ton of successful students all over the country that are just tearing it up and doing really, really well in real estate right now. And um, so, Alex, um, I know you just got back from um, – I wanted to ask you real quick. Tell us about this tornado before we go on to Steve real quick. this Everybody heard about this tornado in Massachusetts, right? So you were on an airplane in Boston when this happened, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. It was one of the um, uh, craziest uh, times in an airport, I guess that you can uh, that you can imagine. I mean, not that it was like a, a, a bumpy flight or that it was uh, a situation where the flight was delayed and you're sitting in the comforts of the nice, firm, and secure airport. <laughs> <laughs> you were in, you're in the airplane. This situation was, um, we got onto the airplane, everything was nice and on time, um, so it seemed like things were going to be good, and then we basically got onto the airplane, and they said, well, it's going to be about 15 to 20 minutes before we get our clearance, because there's some storms in the area. <laughs> yeah. Not tornadoes, not crazy severe thunderstorms, just some storms in the area, you know, I guess because they don't want to alert everybody and make everybody scared, um, but... Um, yeah, so so we sat there at the gate for about an hour, mm -hmm. and that alone, you know, when you got two little small kids with you, is enough to, um, you know, to try you and try to figure out, you know, what you can do to make the kids happy and right. and not have them yelling and screaming and and all over the place. Um, but after that, they we actually pushed back after an hour from the gate. And they let us out onto the tarmac, and we went onto the tarmac, and we noticed the sky. I mean, I was thinking, I was looking out the window. I was like, "Is that from the light from the plane?" I mean, there was lightning every half second on this thing. Wow! Every half second there was lightning, and it was just coming from all different angles. It was crazy. The the 
the the thunder was roaring the plane was rocking back and forth from the wind and every, i mean there was a guy next to on the next row over from my wife who was actually had a, one of those um um emergency bags that he was holding uh to his face and it was really really nervous so um yeah to, needless to say it was it was a pretty crazy time and then when we finally did get up in the air i mean you could look over to one side of the plane and just see the lightning like forks going all over the place i mean good thing we were over here and the lightning was over there wow but, yeah i mean it was still a really um a crazy time and you know and then when you get back home and you see the news and oh yeah there was a couple tornadoes that blew through you're just like wow yeah really good spot to leave you right on yeah. the tarp <laughs> thank thank but, god you're okay uh, we're back things are good and um you know life wouldn't be interesting if you didn't have those uh experiences i guess <laughs> that's right that's right you, would have, you wouldn't have had a story to tell that's right exactly <laughs> this would have been extremely boring well except for steve cook this would have been an extremely boring interview of me in the beginning so <laughs> <laughs> thanks for sharing that glad you're okay so, Steve, um, can you mind? Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background, your history? Um, talk a little. I'm, I, I've always been fascinated with your story with your restaurants. You uh, you had some restaurants, and they didn't go too well for you. And um, it, it, it's quite a fascinating story. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. Um, well, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit from a young guy just coming out of high school. I was already trying to get into different businesses. Uh, I got involved with my first restaurant when I was 21 years old. I uh, got into my second one when I was 26 years old. Uh, the second one was a nightclub, bar, and restaurant, and, and that was the case for both of them. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always say restaurants, but the fact of the matter is both of them were more of a bar. In any case, I when I bought the second one, I thought that I really had just bought, you know, my my freedom, my wealth. I was going to become rich, and I really worked this thing really hard. And I, I discovered shortly after buying it that all I bought was sort of two full-time jobs, and I was lucky if I got paid for one. Hmm. And uh, I worked and I worked and I worked, and uh, but you know, I was young and and it was exciting, and I, I still thought that this was going to pan out and make me rich and. In time, that you know, I discovered that wasn't the case. Uh, I just didn't have the energy to keep it going anymore. I was working 80, 90 hours a week, uh, just trying to keep it going. And uh, in time, it, it eventually failed. And you have to excuse me, my son Christopher wants to be part of the. No, it's totally uh, fine. Show. Uh, <laughs> hi, Christopher. They're saying hi to you. Hi. <laughs> so, kids are always welcome. I uh, I sat here operating uh, the restaurant. Uh, when I shut down, I was deep in debt. And uh, after coming out of the business, I still had that burning desire to be successful and to you know do something for myself. But I had no idea what I was going to do. And uh, I had always wanted to do real estate investing. And I started uh, investigating real estate investing again. This was in 1997. And uh, 1998, I jumped in and became a full-time real estate investor. And how did you get started in real estate, Steve? Was it, did you buy a course? Did you um, have some friends who were doing it? Well, I was so broke at that time, I couldn't get anything. I I, I wasn't in a position to buy any courses. Uh, I had no income. I you know had all the debt from the restaurant. 
And uh, so I was just studying whatever I could. I was showing up at RIA meetings. I was going on to the Internet and whatever information was available on the Internet at that time, which was far less than there is today. I was just absorbing it all. And, uh, you know, then one day I came across uh, a type of investing that they said you could do with no income. You could do it with no credit. You didn't have to borrow any money. Um, it, 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 they said with little to no risk and you know the thing I always share with people is I was qualified for that type of investing I you know <laughs> my my financial situation was really ugly and and uh, all the things that I was struggling with they said you could you could invest in spite of that so that was wholesaling and yeah. wholesaling houses and uh, I got out and it, it took me seven to eight months before I actually got my first deal underneath my belt, but once I did that, I literally within the next six weeks, I did seven more deals and have been averaging a, a deal a week ever since that time. Wow. So you were you were wholesaling. You were you were bird dogging for some other investors, weren't you at first? The the seven deals that I did in six weeks, that was uh, I bird dogged those for another investor. He paid me a thousand dollars for each one of those deals and. Uh, the eighth deal that I brought to him, he didn't want it, and it was one of the best ones that I had bought. But when he didn't want it, I got pretty scared. You know, I was happy with those thousand-dollar checks because they were quick and easy. Uh-huh. And I took the that property that he declined, and I I put an ad in the paper to sell it, and within a week I made seven thousand dollars on that one house. So that was as much as I had made with him on the previous seven. So I stopped bird dogging for him. But bird dogging is a great way for people to get started. If they don't have any money, no experience, uh, what do you recommend to people when when they want to get started in this business, don't have any money? Uh, how do they approach a successful investor and ask them to bird dog for them? Well, the bottom line is that, uh, and you know, going from the position that I was in to where I am today, and having had people approach me, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because so many people just do it the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that the majority of the people who come to me, uh, it's it's all about them and and what can I do for them and how can I help them. And there's very few people who come to me with a desire to see what it is that they can do to help me or to help me Mm -hmm. accomplish my goals. And, uh, And I think that there's many people who come to me and they don't even consider that. And and, and now I'll tell you, that's not what I'm looking for, but that's the heart of the person that I'm looking for. When somebody is coming to me and they want me to stop everything I'm doing and to give of myself and give of my time and to share all of my knowledge with them and uh, and they just want to take, take, take and not give anything back, that's the last person that I want to help. Right. But, but the person who uh, approaches me with a, a, a pure heart willing to give back and, in fact, uh, willing to give more than they take, that's the type of person who you really want to take under your wing and, and help them. So I, I would recommend that anybody who wants to approach a, a successful investor, focus on them and their needs. Take the focus off of yourself. Mm-hmm. Even if you work for them for a period of time without any monetary compensation, you're acquiring knowledge that nobody can ever take away from you. And uh, and that's what this business is all about. It's having that knowledge and then applying it and, and making something of it. Right. <clears throat> Very good. So you, um, you're wholesaling some deals. Um, all of a sudden, you get to a point in Baltimore where um, 
you're getting pretty well known around the country <clears throat> and you're doing six figures a month, right? Uh, rehabbing uh, a couple wholesale a couple times. But you're uh, you're just really wholesaling and rehabbing. I really like the approach that you teach about um, becoming a full-service wholesaler. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how you got to that point and, and, and why you started doing that? And what is full-service wholesaling? Well, my first couple of years of investing, I, I did 105 deals my first two years, wow. um, just over a, a deal a week. And most people would have looked at me and thought that I was, you know, mega rich and, you know, millionaire at, at that time. And, and that was not the case. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I did not make a whole lot of money on each of my deals. Uh, you know, those first seven deals, I was uh, $1,000 each. And I had deals along the way that I was assigning some of them just to make sure that they closed because I made mistakes. And I so I wasn't making money. Uh, on a handful of the deals and the, at at the end of the day I, I was working with somebody else we had opened up an office we had expenses I was probably making forty thousand dollars a year uh, with wow. with that kind of volume um, uh, we had a whole lot of money coming through our checking account but it was going out of the door as fast as it was coming in I <clears throat> I knew that so many people were looking at me thinking wow he's really successful but I didn't feel it and you know I certainly wasn't being rewarded in that way and uh, you know I had made the decision that I was going to stop working with the person I was working with I was going to do it on my own and I reevaluated our entire business I evaluated my best wholesale deals I evaluated my best rehab deals uh, and then I took my my worst wholesale deals and my worst rehab deals and I evaluated them to find out what do these all have in common mm-hmm. and uh, on the wholesale side I had recognized that my best deals all had the same things in common and uh, and that boiled down to the neighborhoods that I was investing in the lender that was participating in the deals the title company it was always the same lender the same title company and the same neighborhoods that were leading to my best deals but uh, when I got away from using that lender many of the deals would fall apart when I was using a different title company who didn't understand what I was doing, many of the deals would fall apart. So I basically, from that point forward, uh, coined that term full-service wholesaling. And when people came to me, I provided them with a deal. I provided them with a lender. I provided them with a title company. I would even recommend contractors to them and realtors who could sell their properties for them. Uh, my goal was to help them be successful so they could buy more properties from me. But what happened when I... Uh, switch to that, and I, I was just adamant about it. You know, Joe, if you would have come to me and said, "Well, you know, my brother-in-law is the vice president of such and such a bank, and I get my money from him," I would have said, "Well, that's great, but not if you're buying my properties." <laughs> and uh, and I would have I turned buyers away. I wasn't going to gamble with my paychecks anymore. Right. Good. And so my first couple of years, I probably. And I don't know what the exact statistics are, but I would say somewhere between 30 and 50% of my deals, I was fighting, kicking, and scratching to get those things to closing where I was um, sometimes the deal's falling apart and I'm off looking for another buyer to try and get somebody else in in there before this deal has to close. Once I said, no, here are the rules, you have to use my lender and my title company, I've only ever had one deal fall apart since that time. Yeah. And uh, everything has closed and has closed as it was supposed to, and I've picked up my check every time. So the beauty of it is I make it simple for my buyers, 
And as a result of that, my buyers are also willing to pay me a little bit more. But uh, I put everything together for them. Nice. And once those systems were in place, it was easy. So you had uh, relationships. This is really important, folks. You had relationship with local banks. And that was a big key to your success, wasn't it? Well, local banks and hard money lenders. And uh, every, every person who came to me to want to buy a property was either uh, bankable or not bankable. If they were bankable, I would take that person to the small local bank. If they were not, I would refer them to the hard money lender. And uh, so I always had an outlet for every person who came to me to get money to do their deals. And there was plenty of room in those deals where it was easy for those lenders to say yes to. Well, especially once you start focusing on the right neighborhoods. You mm -hmm. start buying real junk that, uh, that the, the lenders start to get uncomfortable with then it, it's always more challenging to get those deals done. It's harder to find an investor who even wants to buy the property. It's hard to get the lender to participate in that property. But because I kept bringing them good deals, the lenders were encouraging me, keep bringing more, keep bringing more. You know, there, there was nobody saying, hey, slow down, we're, you know, take it easy. They were encouraging me to bring more because everything I brought to them was really good. And you were still wholesaling deals when the market was falling apart, weren't you, in 2006 and seven and eight? I, I continued to wholesale throughout that whole time. Uh, I, I had slowed down wholesaling for a period of time because I started focusing on doing more rehabs and bigger deals, uh, started doing some new construction and some developing. Uh, wow. I've done a little bit of everything, I, you know, from, uh, I started out, it was really big in the, in the note buying and uh, I, that was a tough business to be in, so I, I actually changed from being the note buyer to the note creator and creating my own pools of notes and then selling them off. And But uh, I, I eventually got back pretty heavy into wholesaling again, and uh, that was at the time in my career when I decided I was going to go to this debt-free investing. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit more about the... Um the note buying, what, what, what would you say was the most difficult about that that made you say, eh, I, I want to be the note creator instead of the buyer? Well, the, the challenge that I had at the time was finding enough notes to even make offers on. Uh, the, the thing was that there were plenty of houses out there to pursue and to create notes with that I found that was the path of least resistance, that I could buy many houses at a discount, but it was much more difficult to find notes that we could buy at a discount. So, uh, um, Locally, do you mean? Locally, yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I was just focusing on the local market, and it was just not. I, I could pull up the MLS and have hundreds of properties to buy at a discount at any given day, but was not the same when it came to notes. So I would buy the property at a discount, create the note, and then I'd have notes to sell. Nice. Okay, so basically what you were doing is uh, buying a property at a discount and then selling it as an owner finance to uh, somebody else and then selling that note at a discount, basically? Correct. And uh, so we were. I was putting together pools of notes. And uh, so we would pool sometimes uh, anywhere from 500000 to a million dollars worth of notes and then sell that package off. Wow. Seasoned over six months at least? Um, not at that time. Uh, typically 90 days. Oh, okay. Wow. Steve, talk a little bit about um, your favorite way to find deals um, and how you make 
offers, and I want to focus particularly on uh, people who come to you and tell you that they're having a hard time finding deals. Um, and, and your favorite question to ask them is, how many, how many offers? offers have you made? <laughs> how many? So talk about how you uh, make offers. What are you looking well, for? On? Well, historically, the majority of the properties that I have bought have been off the MLS. Uh, I, REOs and HUD properties have, are uh, the vast majority of everything that I've bought. Uh, and uh, you know the story that when so many of the students come to me and say, "Steve, I'm having a hard time finding a deal." You know, I'll ask them, "Well, how many offers have you made?" Their story is usually, "Well, my real estate agent gave me 20 listings. I went, I went through those listings. I narrowed it down to 10. We went out, we looked at uh, those 10, and I made offers on two." And I tell them, "Well, the difference between you and I is that if my agent gave me 20 listings, I would have made 20 offers." Yep. And maybe 25 if I could have found five other properties to make offers on. Mm -hmm. um, I just made a lot of offers. And uh, I was not concerned about all of the no's. The only thing I was trying to do was get to that yes so that I could get another payday. And um, so I think that's one of the biggest mm -hmm. challenges that so many uh, beginning investors have is they're not making offers. And, and when you go through that narrowing down process, you're going through the same emotional process that everybody else is, and uh, and you know if you've got 20 properties to look at, they're picking out the two best ones. They're picking out the same two that everybody else is picking out, and uh, you know every once in a while, as an investor, you get the 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 cherry out of the bunch. But more often than not, we're getting the properties that nobody else wants, but we're getting it at our price, so it makes it a deal. And uh, so they narrow those properties out before they ever even had a chance to to get them. And it, and you were very fo you just didn't send out blind offers to a hundred properties every day on the MLS, but you were you were focused very in specifically on specific neighborhoods and specific price ranges, right? Exactly. And the worse the home, the better. You preferred full gut rehabs, is that right? Uh, that was my preference, and because that even limited my competition even more when I was focused on just buying the worst home even the the experienced investors didn't want some of the things that I would buy mm -hmm. and uh, it just you know bottom line is it costs four thousand or five thousand dollars to replace a kitchen whether the kitchen looks halfway decent or it looks completely like crap or if it's not there at all yeah, uh, the price to put the new kitchen in is gonna be the same amount and so I always preferred the ones that looked a whole lot worse where there was no value and uh, in fact, if they were already gutted, the sellers would just discount those prices so much more, and those, that was always my preference was to to just even buy a, a gutted house already because they they gave it no value and and that saved me money to actually buy it that way. Yeah, There's no competition, and it's very easy to estimate. Sort of, it's a lot easier in many ways to estimate a full gut rehab. Than, uh, than, than a property that you don't know what you're going to be putting in it. When you're going uh, that's, into it. that's correct. I mean, I knew what it cost to rebuild a house, and you know, the saying that I always said is once you gut them, they're all the same. Right. And uh, so once we took everything out of it, we knew exactly what we had to do to put them back together. Steve, um, before we go into um, debt-free investing and, and what you're doing with that, I was wondering if you could talk about life and air and then go into maybe the four stages, uh, debt-free investing, uh, prosperity through simplicity. 
Um, but could you also talk about some of the students that, that you have all over the country that are having a lot of success? Um, what are you seeing some of your students doing right now that are, that, that are really doing well? What are they doing? All right. There is no question about it. There's two things out there that are really working well today. Uh, one of them has been working really well for a number of years now. It's been very consistent. And that's just going back to just good old rehabbing, rehabbing a house, doing a nice job with it, putting it on the market. Uh, since the financial collapse, you know, the FHA loan has been the, the most consistent product that people can work with. And if investors are doing a nice rehab, putting a, a nice house on the market, they're able to pull in, uh, you know, find buyers, get the financing and get it done. Uh, a number of my uh, students across the country who have been having career years in recent years, that's been their method. We've been just using the same rehab formula over and over again and uh, cranking out the profits that way. Uh, the other thing that has really been heating up in recent months, uh, I'd say over the course of the last six months, is short sales are getting hot again. Really? Um, people are getting extreme discounts on short sales. I, I say that the, the newer investors are the ones who are getting the better discounts because the guys who have been around for a while <laughs> have got it in their mind that the banks won't take that low of an offer and they don't have guts enough to make the low offers that the, the new guys are. But uh, we're literally, uh, we just had one student uh, well, Joe, at our last retreat, we talked about a student who had a $227,000 mortgage yeah. reduced to, no, I take that back, $272,000 mortgage reduced to 27000 <laughs> We just had another student yeah. have a $150,000 mortgage reduced to $1,200. Holy cow. Are these uh, properties in deplorable condition for a bank to oh. do that? The $270,000 one was a lake house. Um, uh, the home needed work, but it was a lakefront property. Uh, the one uh, where they just got it from $150,000 down to $1,200, uh, the property had tax liens against it, and the bank didn't want to deal with it. Amazing. Absolutely wow. amazing. These, these deals are happening all over the country, too. I've heard Sean talk about some other stories um, his, some of his students in the short sale business are just doing really, really well right now. You have some students that are make, doing, some, uh, doing really well making offers on HUDs right now too, right, Steve? Well, HUD is, there, there's no question about it. I got one student who's probably making, netting about 400000 over the course of 90 days, oh. uh, all of it off of HUD flips. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the thing that's happening right now, and there's no rhyme or reason to it, so I don't want anybody to sit here and ask me, hey, how are they doing it? What's the secret? There is no rhyme or reason. You've just got to be in it. You've got to be making offers on those HUD properties. Uh -huh. uh, you, uh, But I'll tell you, here's the key. They're making offers on good properties that HUD has, not HUD's junk. Where they're making these tremendous profits is they're buying Two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollar homes for fifty, sixty thousand dollars, mm -hmm. and HUD is letting them go. Yeah, and uh, you, you know, many people get discouraged. They go and they make the offers, and HUD doesn't accept it. Well, you make that offer again the next day, and then again the next day, and then then again. You keep on doing it until they accept your offer or sell it to somebody else. Um, there is, without a doubt. Um, you know, Joe, I've been calling for the, the next dip in prices here for a while, and I've told everybody, no, we haven't seen the bottom yet. Right. Um, and 
And uh, one of the things that I have always seen as a trend in my investing is that when HUD starts to dump and when the banks start to dump properties and you start to see them uh, coming out with these extreme discounts again, the, the, what's happening is they're, they know where the market's going and they're anticipating it. And we are starting to see that now in the numbers that are coming out you know, in the media about how real estate values are dropping. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I do want to, before we go further, I, I do want to qualify and let everybody know that that doesn't mean you run from the market. Um, the opportunities are there. You just have to be on top of where the market's going and, and make the adjustments. And as we've been teaching our students now for the last few years, their goal needs to be to set the new low in the market when they sell a property not to come in at top dollar, but to, to be the, the new person setting that low and establishing the new price point and still be profitable with doing that should be their goal when they go in. That's Yeah, that's really important. When you're selling a house, make <clears throat> sure you're setting the new low, make sure you're staging the home, and make sure you're doing a top-notch top -notch rehab. Mm -hmm. If you're the best-looking home and the best priced, you'll get them sold. Yeah. Steve, um, Oh, I was making some notes here. You were talking about being a full-service wholesaler, and, and you were also at the time offering very generous bird dog fees, weren't you? Well, that's my favorite way of finding properties. Yeah. Uh, I, I eventually uh, created what I called breeding bird dogs, and I was out there just getting a whole bunch of bird dogs looking for properties for me. I stopped doing any marketing. I stopped making any offers uh, on my own. I just had bird dogs bringing everything to me. And, uh, and how'd you I do think, that? Well, I, all I'd have to do is stand in front of a group of investors and uh, tell them that I paid a minimum of ten thousand uh, dollars to anybody who brought a deal to me that I bought. Nice. And uh, and as a result of that, you know, many people thought I was crazy. You know, you can't pay ten thousand dollars. Well, I can't pay ten thousand dollars on a bad deal, but I can pay ten thousand dollars on a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. And so people would bring me deals. What happened was. I went to the top of every investor's list. I was mm -hmm. the first person who they called because they knew they were going to get a minimum 10000 from me if I bought. They didn't call the person who was offering a $500 referral fee. They called me. Yep. So uh, everybody was calling me. I was getting dozens of phone calls every day with potential deals. And I only bought the ones where it made sense for me to pay that $10,000. But literally, I had people bring me wholesale deals that would make me forty thousand dollars, and I'd give them ten. Yeah, as I had no problem with doing that. They'd bring me rehabs I could make sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars on. I had no problem with paying them ten. Um, so I got the first look at everything. When there was a deal that was a good deal, but wasn't worth me paying ten thousand dollars on it, I just referred them to somebody else who would buy it, and uh, and I'd help them to put the deal together. And as a result of that, they kept me at the top of their list. If I just blew them off all the time, they would eventually stop calling me. But right. because I'd helped them get their deals done, they would still call me. They might only make three or four thousand on it instead of ten from me, but they still called me first. And uh, so I, I just stayed at the top of their list. That's very smart. I like how you compare when you're speaking in front of a group, you ask people to get out their business cards and ask them. What does it say on the back of your card? You give a $500 referral fee. Well, I, I can beat that. <laughs> I can give you more. Uh, 550 
<laughs> I, I also asked then, you know, I pulled the room after I do that, how many people in here are excited about $500? How many of you are going to yeah. stop everything you're doing to go find them a deal? Whereas when I tell people I'll pay them a minimum of 10000 there's people who stop everything else they're doing mm -hmm. to go out there and try to find me a deal. Brilliant. You have a student doing that in um, uh, Craig. Does, doesn't he do something real similar? Craig does something very similar to that. Uh, he just says that he pays the highest fees. He hasn't really put a dollar amount on it, but okay. uh, he pays the highest fees. He pays more than anybody else. You know, that's the message that he puts out there. I'm trying to uh, get him on a podcast interview. Um, so that'll be I'll have more announcements coming out about Craig he's doing and by the way did he get that deal he did get his reality show he will be on holy cow. TV okay which reality show is this Steve uh, I well there it's a new show they're they're starting a new oh, one is. revolved around him but uh, I it's, will tell you this he got the biggest network of all so for for it so can we share that, or, do, or should we just leave everybody in suspense? I think we should just leave everybody in suspense. Uh, it's not. <laughs> this it's is not my yeah. uh, job to to tell what he's doing there. But he did get his show, and uh, we will be seeing him on TV in the future. This is one of Steve Cook's students, guys. So I'll tell you, Alex, off air. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to get him on an interview. And, uh, <laughs> Maybe I can get him to wear uh, realestateinvestingmastery.com t-shirts on his show. I don't know. Yeah. I doubt it. You, you might have to talk to his agent now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said yesterday his contractor was calling him, or he was talking to his contractor, and he said to his contractor, hold on a minute, this is my agent. And he was being real. He's got an agent now. So <laughs> Good for him. That's awesome. All right, Steve, so if you could um, – Talk about your journey to debt-free investing, your journey into life and air. Uh, you had a tremendous amount of uh, stress and uh, a tremendous amount of overhead. You had to make a lot of money just to break even every month. Mm -hmm. You said enough is enough. Talk about that, would you? Well, we'll go back to when I became a full-service wholesaler. Uh, you know, once I had changed my model, I told you the first couple of years I made about $40,000 a year. It was about the end result. Um, the moment I switched my model and I no longer had my partner, the very first month I made forty grand in one month, and then sixty thousand the next month, seventy thousand the next month, had a six-figure month that year. But it was just uh, an incredible, incredible year. I, I was just making money like there was no tomorrow, like I had never imagined being able to make. Um, in any case, uh, if you recall, I had just come out of the restaurant business a couple of years earlier, the failed restaurant business. My credit was terrible. I didn't have uh, any debt or anything at that time because I, I couldn't. Nobody would let me borrow anything. In spite of all the money that I was making, I couldn't go out and get a traditional mortgage and <clears throat> couldn't get car loans and things like that. Um, so I didn't need much. At that time, I only needed about $25,000 a year to get by, and I was making that in three weeks. Yeah. So life was really easy. You know, I didn't need to go out and, uh, and, and borrow to buy things. I could pay cash for the things that I wanted, and uh, I was just swimming in cash. Every time I had a payday, I could do whatever I wanted to do with that money. I owed it to no nobody. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I continued to make that kind of money now for a number of years, and then I started thinking, what? I got to start doing 
the smart thing with my money. So I went out, I started getting counsel, you know, speaking to accountants and estate planners and, you know, we were talking about irrevocable trusts and, you know, all the different things we do with my money. And, and so the bottom line is with, with meeting with all these people, a plan was put together. It was suggested that I go off and, you know, I buy a, a sizable home so I could get the write-offs and I could put together my rental portfolio. And I did everything that I was supposed to do. And, and within three years, I had over $7 million in assets. Uh, I had, you know, I bought the big mansion. I had the vacation home. I had built up a rental portfolio of 25 properties. And so here I am, uh, you know, doing everything I'm supposed to do. Everybody's looking at me thinking that everything I touch turns to gold and everything's great. And I was miserable. Hmm. I, I, was, I was now working so hard to try to keep this thing going. I was back to working 70, 80 hours a week. I felt like I was back in the restaurant business. Uh, I went from needing $25,000 a year to needing 25000 every two weeks wow. just, just to get by. And, uh, and I did it. I, I, and, you know, I was a, I was a one-man show. I, had a, I always had, like, one assistant who would work with me. But, you know, I didn't have a big company. I was bringing in all of that money all the time. But the pressure to have to perform at that level week after week after week uh, you, you, it controls your life, and, and so it was affecting my marriage. It was affecting uh, you know my relationships with friends. Um, I was a very generous person, wanted to give, but now I had to really think twice about where I could give my money because I owed so much to these lenders, and uh, and I, I just knew something had to change. This this was not why I got into real estate investing. You know, I I was I was fortunate enough to you know after having come out of the restaurant business not having anything in my life was pretty simple but I had freedom then I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do and when I was making all that money there was nothing I couldn't do nowhere I couldn't go I didn't have to answer to anybody then when I did everything the right way and, and started investing my money the right way then all of a sudden I had people to answer to uh-huh. and now I had to perform and I had the lender to, to who was controlling my life and dictating how hard I had to work and whether or not I enjoyed my vacations or if I got to go on vacation yeah. um, so I, uh, I said you know I'm going back to simplicity I, I, I want, I'd rather have that simple life and be free to do whatever it is I want to do uh, and that doesn't mean and this, the, this message I don't want people to take it the wrong way <clears throat> My life is very simple right now. We need very little, but that doesn't mean I make a little bit. We do very well, and that's where our freedom comes from. We get to do anything we want to do because everything I make is mine. Yeah. Uh, it's, it doesn't go out of the door as fast as it comes in. Um, you know, I, I equate it to the board game life. Uh, I, most people in this country have played the board game life at some point or another, and the winner of that game is the person who accumulates the most cash. And most of us live our real lives that way. We just make decisions on a day-to-day basis in an attempt to accumulate the most cash possible. And for me, I now challenge people, what would that game be like if the winner of the game was the person who had the, the best life experiences? Yeah. Or, for, or for me, with my faith, it's, you know, wh- wh- who would, what would that game be like if the winner of the game was the person who brought the most glory to God? Mm-hmm. And, and we took our eye off of how much money can we make and focus on the things that are really important to us. And, 
And that's where life and air comes in. Uh, because life and air is like millionaire, except it's somebody who's full of life. Yeah. And uh, most of us pursue uh, a business and do work really hard to, to make our businesses successful and then hope that at some point or another that that business is going to allow us to live life. When through the life and air process, the first thing we do is design our life. We come up with a vision for the lifestyle that we want to live. And then, as you know, Joe, I, I teach everybody to now build the business that will help them to live their life. Make right. sure your business fits into your life rather than trying to fit life into your business. So yeah. we take the exact opposite approach. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was key for me when I joined Life in Air. I was a coaching pro- student a couple years ago, I guess now. Right when I was leaving my job, going into business full time um, for myself, I knew I wanted to do the right. I wanted to do it the right way, and uh, I was friends with Sean McCloskey, and Sean introduced me to Steve. But that's the first thing we did: is we designed the life that we want. We designed our lifestyle first and created a vision for it, and uh, we figured out down to a schedule: how many hours are you going to devote to your life vision? What's most important to you? Your family, God. You know, all this stuff. So, all right, put that on a calendar and schedule it. And for me, this is the biggest thing I got out of it. You, know, you got that down. You got your vision. Now design a business to fit around that. And that can even work for somebody who's still working for an employer. It's not like that only works for people who are self-employed and have their own business. Um, you just got to set your priorities straight and know what they are and have a vision for your life. So play, having a vision, a written vision, is a big, plays a big part of this, doesn't it, Steve? Uh, absolutely. Without that vision, then people have no direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they just wander through life, which is why they chase every opportunity that comes their way. And every opportunity they chase is just robs them of more of the life that they want to live. Right. And, uh, and that's what had happened with me. I traded my life away for that business. And the intent of that business was for it to provide life for me. But that's exactly what I was giving up in order to have that business. I was trading my life to have that business. Right. So, uh, but you know, one of the things, Joe, that you had just brought up there about the calendar, and you probably experienced this yourself, and you've seen many others experience it, is that we, um, most people, once they fill out their calendar, they only have 15 to 20 hours a week left that they can work in their business. Mm-hmm. We can't possibly live the lives that we want to live if we're working in our businesses 40 to 60 hours a week. And so that's what we're doing is we're teaching people how do we create that business where we only work 20 hours a week in order to live the life that we want to live. And it forces us to really focus on building a good, efficient business that's profitable. We kick out all the things that are not profitable. We just don't do them. And as you know, Joe, I'm down to five days a month now. I don't even work 20 hours a week anymore. I just work five days a month. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, now I do a lot of other things. Yeah, but you know, I started a, a school, a Christian school, and we I do a lot with my church, and I spend much more time doing those things than I do in my own business. And Steve is very, very strict. He doesn't give his cell phone number out to anybody. His phone is disconnected on his days off. Um, you do check your emails, I think. At I, least I once check. A day, I check email, and I will respond to. Uh, what may be emergencies, but if I can address most things for all of the people who I coach via email, and if I need to get on the phone with them, I jump on the phone. Right, but the great thing about Stephen, all of his students know this. Um, when he's he, he says he's available, 
there he's not available the other days <laughs> in other words you can't call him on a monday morning at 9 a.m and expect to get a hold of him because he sticks to his vision and without compromise and it's a great example for the rest of us but um but, uh, Steve, I wanted to ask you, could you talk about the four stages that you've developed over the last um, – you just started emphasizing this recently, the four stages of, of uh, debt-free investing. I, I'd love to talk about it because I think that this was something that I've been trying to teach, and I finally have come up with a way to easily convey this. Uh, the four stages to financial prosperity. Stage one is putting a foundation in place. This is having your life in air vision, knowing what it is that you're doing everything you do for. Uh, so many people don't have a clue of what it is that they really want out of life. And uh, when they first come to me and I ask them what do they want, they usually tell me, oh, I know exactly what I want out of life. And uh, I say, okay, well, tell me, what is that? And uh, they struggle. They can't tell me. But they can tell me in a heartbeat what they want their 401k to look like or their retirement plans, which is why that's their vision that they have for their life that's why they work so hard and trying to accumulate money but they don't know what they would do with their lives if they had everything that they wanted so this putting this vision in place and having that foundation and knowing what it is that they want is it's a tough process for some people but it's extremely worthwhile because once they know what they want they can begin to get it yeah um, so putting that foundation in place is key and my recommendation is to keep it simple uh, and I'll get to the reason why in just a moment. But uh, keeping your vision simple, keeping life simple, makes it so much easier to win this game of life. When we're uh, playing it by the same way that everybody else is and we come up with a complicated lifestyle, we make it much more difficult to win. Mm -hmm. Now, so stage two is, is critical now. Once we get to stage two, this is where we earn income in order to be able to live that lifestyle that we have designed for ourselves in stage one. If stage one is difficult and it's cumbersome and it's expensive, well that means we've got to earn much more money in stage two. Yep. Stage two is the money that we actually trade our hours for. We're, we're, we're trading our lives for that income. We work for that money. And the more we have to make, the harder we have to work. And uh, and so many Americans right now, that's the stage that they're stuck in. They can't win in that stage because it's so complicated. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you keep it simple, it's easy to win in stage two. And this is critical. You want to win in stage two so you can get to stage three and four. Stage three is where you now begin to generate excess cash. That's where you generate over and above your needs. And uh, if, if stage two is simple, you can get to stage three very quickly. Um, stage three now, you're generating excess cash, you can do whatever you want to do with that cash. You can blow it, you can spend on whatever you want to, you can go on vacation with it, you can invest it. Uh, smart people are going to enjoy some of that cash, but they're going to invest a good portion of it into stage four. And stage four is going to be where I recommend people buy free and clear income producing assets. And uh, the key to all of this is trying to stay debt free because the more debt you have the more complicated it is the more money that you have to make and uh, even in stage four if you start buying assets that have debt attached to it that's only going to increase your needs in stage two that if the assets not performing you're the one who has to work for that money and uh, so eventually stage four income will will replace your need to work in stage two and 
you know, that's where I'm at these days. That's why I only have to work the five days a month. I, I'm pretty much keeping things together uh, and just managing things where I've got plenty of other investments that work for me today. Would you mind sharing, Steve, uh, where you were at the, the worst, how much you needed to make every month to survive, and how much you need to make to survive today? To, today, all I need is $4,000 a month. And you can uh, do that in your sleep. Yes, I don't have to get out of bed to make that. And uh, now, I'm, I, I don't want anybody to get the wrong message. We live, we make more than that. We spend more than that. But that is all that I need. Mm-hmm. Um, back in 2006, 2005, I needed in the neighborhood of forty-five dollars to $50,000 every month. Uh, just to make ends meet, wow. and uh, and so that was a whole lot of pressure. Wow. I'm so thankful that I'm not there anymore. We, uh, I decided in January of 2006 to stop borrowing. That I would never borrow again. We paid off. I had four and a half million dollars in debt, and I paid off the last of that debt in October of 2009. Wow. How what did that it- debt consist of mainly? Every bit of it is what we would call good debt. But I'll tell you, if you were in my shoes, none of it was good. (laughs) It it affected everything in my life, uh, how well I slept, my stress levels, everything. There was nothing good about it, but it was all real estate. I would would not pay. uh, I would not take out a loan on a car. I wouldn't uh, charge anything on credit cards. It was 100% real estate debt. And it took you how long to get rid of it? It's almost four years. Jeez. Either you sold it or you kept it as a performing asset. I I sold most of it. I still, to this day, I I own six properties free and clear now. That's all you need right there. (laughs) Well, here's the beautiful thing about debt-free investing. If you find out what your needs really are, um, let's say it's four, five, six grand a month, um, you can live really high on the hog, (laughs) as I like to say. You can live extremely high on the hog if you have zero debt and you're only making $5,000 a month, mm-hmm. I mean, you can be taking vacations every month with your family with that if you wanted to. Well, we have some students who are basically at that point right now where they travel a week to two every month, mm-hmm. and uh, they're making maybe $10,000 a month, but every month they're gone for a week or two. They work two weeks. They make ten, sometimes 15000 sometimes 8000 and then they go. Yep, yep. Beautiful. Um, Steve, I wanted to ask you one more question, um, and I ask this to everybody. If you were um, – and you're in a great position since you don't have any debt. I love it. Um, if, if you were dropped into a new city, uh, you know, let's say Phoenix, Arizona. God forbid. It's so stinking hot there. Let's say you were dropped in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, – you had to make some money to 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 survive. What would you do to start making some money in Phoenix? Well, obviously, but real estate is my background. I'm going to try to do it with real estate. Okay. Uh, first things I'm going to do is I'm going to get on out there and try and find out who the players are in the area. Okay. I want to know who the real players are, and I want to know what they're doing. I don't want to base anything uh, my decisions off of hypothetical situations. I want to see real deals. I want to know what neighborhoods the, the real players like to buy in. I want to know what they're buying at. 
I'm going to get in touch with real estate agents, and I'm going to start making offers because if you're not making offers, you can't make anything. Yeah, you've got to make offers in order to get a property that will generate profits. So you find where the buyers are wanting to buy properties, mm -hmm. and you're finding what they want. You're making offers on those properties. At the same time, you're building your buyers list. You know who the buyers are. Correct. So you get a you get a property under contract for forty fifty cents on the dollar. And you just wholesale it to um, another investor. Correct. Simple as that. Very simple. And it's not difficult. I could go into any market and begin to make money uh, almost immediately. And you don't need to. You don't need a budget for for uh, marketing, do you? I mean, it doesn't cost anything to make an offer on the MLS. It, it does not. Uh, uh, HUD right now is a place where I would be making offers. Uh, and I'll just throw a little tip out there on that note is that there's many people who don't make offers on MLS properties because they can't qualify with pre-qualification letters and things like that. HUD requires pre-qualification letters or proof of funds just like uh, an REO does. Mm -hmm. But the difference is that HUD accepts the offer before they see the letter. And uh, so you can you can have almost any letter when you're making offers on HUD properties and still get your offers accepted. Nice. Um, do you have any other questions, Alex? No, I, I think I'm good. I think uh, HUD is, is definitely a, a good way to go. They Is HUD pretty much the same around the country to where like um, they will allow the homeowners to have the first stab at it for the, like the first 30 days or something like that? Historically, that's the way HUD operates. Um, uh, it seems like HUD is starting to try to centralize things more all through one website instead of all the different management company websites. Right. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're starting to figure that out right now, but uh, there are very slight different nuances from management company to management company, but otherwise they're all supposed to operate essentially the same. Steve, um, can, we, can we give out the website to Life in Air? Absolutely. The more people come there, the better. <laughs> I love Life in Air. I'm a big fan. I'm a big cheerleader of Life in Air. Not embarrassed to admit that because it's changed my life tremendously. And uh, it's had a big influence in me. And uh, Steve, I appreciate the, the, uh, what you've done for, for me and so many of our, of our friends, my dear friends now, who are also in the Life in Air coaching program. Um, there's three levels of coaching program uh, students in the Life and Air program: the Platinum, Titanium, and the Flip Vips. And I wanted to ask you too um, if you could share a little bit about the uh, the Flip Vips. Um, you guys have a, a monthly coaching program where you you have 12 guys in the group, and they do uh, each of them has a monthly call. You guys are still doing this, <clears throat> ask the flip flips, right? Correct. And it's actually 11 guys. Jesus had 12. I don't think I could do as much as he did. So uh, I've been working with the flip vips now for uh, about three and a half years that I've been coaching them. They are just, I, I've watched them just grow from, you know, struggling investors to being phenomenal investors. But most importantly, I'm watching them live fantastic lives. And uh, my wife says that they're sort of like my children. That uh, you know, I, uh, the way I bring them up and and watch watch over them. In any case, they a uh, little while ago, um, probably going seven eight months ago now, they decided that we were all going to get together and 
they were going to start just making themselves available to others and answering their questions and taking their experiences of working with me and being able to share that with uh, you know with other investors throughout the country. They call it it's ask the flip vips. You can get on the phone and speak with the flip vips and ask them whatever questions you want. And uh, for thirty nine dollars a month, you have access to those eleven investors. Uh, you can call up whenever they do a call. Each one of them does one a month, so it's eleven phone calls a month for only thirty nine dollars from experts all across the country. So it's, uh, it's sort of their way of giving back. And it, those calls are great. There's so much good information in those calls. You can ask them any question you want. But the website is www.asktheflipvips.com. It's F-L-I-P-V-I-P-S.com. And, uh, of course, lifeinair.com. It's L-I-F-E-O-N-A-I. R E instead of millionaire, it's lifeinair.com. And uh, there's a lot of really good blog posts on there that talk about what a life in air is. Um, Steve has some really good articles that he's written about debt free investing that are in there. It's a great resource. And um, it's uh, there's still openings in the um, are there openings in the titanium group, Steve, or is it just the platinum group? Well, that, that fluctuates. Uh, okay. At this very moment, we do have uh, two openings in the Titanium Group. I spoke with one person yesterday, so they're, they're, I, th I believe that they're going to sign up. That might leave us with only one. The Titanium Group has two retreats a year, which are awesome. They're the highlights of most of our years. And uh, just get together with these guys and brainstorm. We have monthly conference calls, talk about... Uh, with challenges that we're facing and, and getting feedback from other people, uh, holding each other accountable, really, really awesome stuff. Um, anything you want to say, Steve, before we uh, before we hang up here? I I just want to encourage people to make the most out of life. It's not all about building our businesses. Uh, I think that most everything that you know everyone is doing, they're doing with uh, the best of motives. Or, or what they know to be best, but the bottom line is, you know, what I share and what I teach is a little bit different than anything else that's out there. I'm gonna just encourage everybody to be open to it, listen to it, and uh, pursue life. That's good. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. I sure appreciate you being on here with us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Everybody go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. Put your name and email in there. Um, and uh, go to Steve's website, lifeandair.com or asktheflipvips.com. You won't be disappointed. Uh, all right, guys. Talk to you later. All right. Have a great day. Bye -bye. Take care. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve.